This is the safari. The modeling world has been dominated for the last decades by Faith Cates. She literally was one of the pioneers of the agency world when she founded Next Model Management with Joel Winkenfeld in 1989. And in that period, she has literally been known to everyone across Europe, the United States, and the rest of the world to represent some of the great talent uh, of the modeling world. But in 2009, she was the first agency to introduce a digital influencer management division, which has really risen concurrently with the model side of the house to really represent some of the most interesting elements of today's culture, uh, representing the likes of Abby Lee, Alexa Chung, and Billie Eilish, to name a few. And today we're joined with Jennifer Gavin, who's the head of talent, as well as Faith Cates herself, the legendary founder or co-founder of Next Model Management. And we'll have a lot to talk about because influencers and the convergence of influencers and models into, frankly, becoming brands is something that is very much du jour. Let's get started. All right, so we're here today with uh, Faith Cates and Jennifer Gavin of Next. Is it Next Models or is it just Next? It's Next Model Management, Next Management, Next. Next, there we go. All right, well, uh, thank you guys for joining me today. So before we get started, maybe Faith, uh, give us give us a little bit of the background and where we are today, and then maybe hand it to Jennifer, who's running a big area of your business as well. So uh, just maybe tell us tell us what you guys do. So in 1989, we started the agency as a boutique agency because modeling agencies at the time were sort of big houses where they represented so many different clients. So we decided at the beginning we were just going to specialize in in a very small group of girls. And then we started seeing that the business was evolving. And as it evolved, we started taking on more divisions. So we started a men's division. We started a talent division. And now we are one of the top three agencies in the world, both in size and in uh, billings. And so, Jennifer... You're, you you run the talent side of the house. I do, yes. So the, a, a part of the talent, I guess. <laughs> it's all talent, right? Yeah, everybody's talented. So just before we sat down, there was a conversation we had about the word influencer. Yes. So you know, I, I was telling you that I think that when you describe someone as an influencer, it's a little bit like you know, hi, I'm a thief. I'm here to sort of make you <laughs> take your money or do something uh, like that. So how how does that word really sort of gel in an environment that is? let's say, um, you know, transparent about, you know, being uh, mindful and, and, and all the rest of it that goes with consumerism today. How, how does that word influencer uh, jive? And is it something that consumers uh, really want to hear about someone who's an influencer? Or is it, is it something that's really a B2B term? Uh, it's not something that people really want to hear from a consumer's perspective. What they are responding to are people that they find a connection with. So whether that's that they find the talent to be sort of inspirational, aspirational to them, or a lot of people feel that they have a very personal connection to this particular person because they've shared their life 
so publicly, socially, um, they feel that they know them actually, and they're, I, I like to say, pretend friends with mm. them. Um, and I think that um, in terms of influence, we try not to use that word because it can mean so many things and not a lot of things all at the same time. For us, it's really about thinking about the talent as a brand themselves and figuring out what sort of their offering and their value is and how we can connect them to the company brands that we work with in ways that feel very genuine, authentic, and credible. Because ultimately, what brands are really looking for is a person who has a following that is of likeness to the people that they are trying to actually attract. Mm -hmm. And I think um, coming back to, I guess, the beginning uh, of Next, um, I, I always am so impressed when I hear models saying, you know, I'm, I'm really good at selling bags. I'm really good at selling shoes or I, I'm a fragrance girl or whatever it is. There's a way, a connection I have with a consumer through a brand. So how, how do you think of the brandscape, this sort of pantheon of brands and all the different kinds of retailers that uh, a model might be able to work with and how you pull her DNA into a brand? How do you match these people? Because it's, it's, it's an art. I mean, how is it, how's it evolved? Where did it come from? And what have you seen change, uh, Faith? So it really has evolved. When we first started in 89, girls were just faces. Nobody knew their names, and they were just pretty people. Today, kids, adults, they really connect to that girl, that face. Sometimes they might not know their name, but most of the time today, they really do. And they follow these girls. They follow them on their social media. They follow them on Instagram. They follow them everywhere. So they really feel this connection. So if... Grace Elizabeth, let's say, is wearing the new Estee Lauder perfume. Her fans want to buy that perfume. Before, they just bought the perfume. They didn't really care who sold the perfume. It was just that pretty face. And how has that changed the business of, of, of in agency land? I mean, how, you know, if you were selling an image, uh, a, a visage uh, to begin with, and then now you're really more selling the personality and uh, the, the the full package, really. Um, how has that made you guys change? So it made the talent change as well. In the 80s, you never heard a model speak, ever. You never heard her voice. You just saw this image, and it was kind of a fantasy. Today, you hear their voice in many different ways. So whether it's vis-a-vis -vis their social, social side or... In a magazine mm -hmm. or in a commercial or TV ad, you see a lot of different ways that they speak to you. Early on, you just looked at if you were the consumer, if you were the brand, you were meet a model, you look at her portfolio, and you go, okay, we want a blonde with blue eyes that's five foot nine, and that's what you bought. Today, they want, they still may want a blonde that's five foot nine, but they want one that has personality. And the first question we all get today is. How many followers does she have? Yeah. And how does that relate to today? I, I um, often think about the industry today through the eyes of the late Marvin Traub, who uh, dearly departed, who, who was at, a, at the peak of the industry at a time when the retailer was king, hence the term uh, merchant prince and, and all the rest of it. Today, or maybe just to stay on that for a second, then the reason why that was the case is that if you were Condé Nast or you were a model or you were a brand, 
all of it was somehow being packaged around one of these big stores that was doing co-op advertising or marketing and pulling everyone together. And that was where the spend was created. Today, the, the consumer uh, is... Uh, being pulled in so many different directions. There's the media guys who are creating marketplaces uh, so you can shop on their platforms. You have the retail companies creating their own brands. You have the brands opening their own retail stores. And you have the talent who are also now brands themselves who are sort of just leapfrogging all of them and going straight to the consumer. And Kylie Cosmetics, probably the most amazing example of that. How do you look at this marketplace from a business perspective. So for your talent, uh, this notion of 360 uh, management, helping them not just get their image on, on, on editorial or on a runway, but actually build a business, Jennifer. Yeah. Um, well, I think to your first part of the question, the reality is that a brand is no longer what the media or marketers tell consumers. A brand is what consumers tell other consumers. Yes, it's right? pull so, versus push. Yeah. So I think just the flip of that, first and foremost, was created a fundamental shift. I think the reality that social media has basically removed the fourth wall, sort of the old school acting term. But, you know, there is this far more personal connection to Faith's point that started on the modeling side of things. But began to evolve in the talent space. So people want to know more about you, not just who you are in terms of your persona, but who you are in terms of your personal life as well. And so, you know, that's one of the first things that we talk about with talent is let's talk about you, the brand versus you, the person. And let's, let's be clear about what the parameters are, what you will and won't share. And I think that's a, a great starting point for a lot of talent. And so when you take what you just said and apply it to the, the, the P&L, you know, the business of that individual. I often think of it through the lens of you know, when, when you have some money and you want to invest it and you have a, a sort of a portfolio of investments and it's sort of asset allocation, as it's called in the, in the finance world, how do, you, how do you assign or allocate the assets of your clients into, let's call it their day job, uh, the endorsement deals, the licensing deals, and then more and more, the entrepreneurial side of things. Everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Everyone wants to be Dr. Dre. Everyone wants to be uh, Jessica Alba uh, with her company and, and many, many others. But they don't always have the expertise nor, nor really the, necessarily the, 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 the desire to put the, the time in. So how do, you, how do you help them say, yes, I want to help you follow your dreams, but also give them the reality check and then you know, going back to the beginning of the question, you know, understand how to allocate their time? Yeah. Well, I think in terms of the allocation, there is no right or wrong or one specific formula. So I think it's about really understanding that particular talent and what the value and, and offering is. What is it that people are interested about that particular talent? So kind of starting from there is where you develop the strategic framework to figure out what makes sense. What are the right opportunities? And again, the most important part in all of this is about authenticity credibility and, and being genuine because consumers today are very aware that when people are having, you know, branded hashtags in their feed, they understand that they're being paid for it. So it's really important to think about what not only each individual opportunity provides for you as the talent, but we also want to look at how that opportunity then fits 
into the broader plan of other either opportunities that you've already done or opportunities that we're thinking about because you want to make sure that there's an overall cohesion to everything that you do so that there's consistency. And that, I think, mm. that, that requires discipline. That requires some upfront thinking. Again, going back to the strategic framework and the importance of that. And just having transparency between the agent and talent and talking about, you know, there's opportunities that we'll bring forth and we'll say to them, this isn't the right opportunity and these are the reasons why. And sometimes having those more difficult conversations are just as important as, you know, coming with the exciting ones about a really great offer. That's interesting. And, and Faith, you know, in the age of Instagram, when everyone is a photographer, uh, everyone at least thinks they are, everyone has the most amazing camera on their iPhone or, 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 or tablet. You have, through your agency, uh, I'm not sure you actually work with uh, photographers, but you work for your, uh, your, your talent with some of the greatest photographers of all time. How have you seen that uh, world change? You know, you even get, you know, Pharrell Williams and Karl Lagerfeld saying, I'm just going to take the photography myself. I mean, uh, uh, is, is the photography field changing a little bit? It is, and I actually miss it the old way because those photographs were iconic. They were legendary. You're never going to remember any of these pictures that you see. They changed so quickly. When Richard Avedon took a picture, he planned for that photograph, or at least planned around what he was going to shoot. Today, kids hit a picture, hits it, the, hits it, hit the button, take the picture, and they post it. Richard Avedon would never have just done that. He would have, you know, Calvin Klein adds perfect example. You know, those things were planned for months and months in advance. The iconic image that you remember the most is Brooke Shields laughing, coming, you know, putting on her jeans. And that took about 30 seconds because of what he had done to get that picture. But it was so planned out. So today, it's so different. It doesn't have the integrity that it used to have. Understood. Um, today, the... The world, the consumer, is so involved with their decisions. I mean, we, we've written a few white papers on the subject of what we call paganism uh, in retail, or the mindful consumer. We heard recently uh, this this uh, philosopher talking about the the hierarchy of needs of the consumer and the the base layer of, uh, is goods, things you need. You just need the things you buy them next layer is services. And when you have services and the goods you need, then you want experiences. So in the final pinnacle uh, of that uh, pyramid, let's say, is, is meaning. And how do you think this notion of an involved consumer that is really careful and mindful and involved with the decisions they make, they're almost, almost spiritual. They're, they're blessing brands by their custom. Uh, I'm going to work with that business because they are sustainable or they treat their factory work as well or they work with the right kinds of models and a diverse group of models. And this question today is such a wonderful uh, time, uh, but whether it be for gender, whether it be for race uh, and, and many other um, models and, and, and faces, let's say, that represent herefore to marginalized uh, groups. Faith, how do you see that? changing and or has and is it is this a moment in time will it will it go away is it going to be 
double down? I'd love to hear you both speak about that from your different vantage points. So when you used to offer a model a job and you would say to her, you know, on Tuesday, would you like to do this? They very ra- very rarely said no. They Their job was to work. Today, they get, they ask a lot of questions. They are either attached to the brand or they're not. And it's very important to them that it feels authentic. Even if you don't even know her name, for her, the authenticity of the brand is really important. That there is a connection. It might not be a connection because she uses the product, but there has to be some sort of connection. Otherwise, it's just, it, it's not meaningful. You know, as um, talent and models evolve, you see they really, really have this big opinion on what they do and don't want to do. And they've convinced us why they don't want to do it. And we will then take a stand. So I love the sustainability model where girls don't want to just, you know, they don't want to advertise for something that is, let's just call it too plastic because it's ruining the waters and it's ruining our oceans. I love that. I love that they get behind different causes. Brands really, really have to do better. And I think now they are doing better. They're doing so many things and they're making you more aware about what they're doing. Before you kind of had to dig to find out what they were doing. Now they're very proud of what they're doing. So they're, they're getting out in front of all of this before there's a problem. We'll be right back. I want to take a second to explain to you why Traub is able to bring you the safari. We pride ourselves in being at the very center of a very global, very complicated consumer and retail landscape. And in our travels, as we help think, manage, and expand businesses in many different channels and geographies, we're able to meet and learn from some of the great minds in this industry. And it's really wonderful to be able to bring them to you. And in doing so, I hope that you, the listener, will be able to learn a little bit more about what we do at Traub as well. Back to the safari. And so, Jennifer, in, in your world, and I guess obviously you you, cro- you cross-reference with each other on the different sides of your business, but whether it be uh, women who identify with uh, someone who is uh, models inclusive sizing or someone of a different uh, uh, race or, or gender or all the different areas that are the world is becoming so progressive in and and uh, and really allowing people to be themselves H- how is that influencing your decisions and the decisions of your of your agency well i mean it it starts with a lot of our customers the brands themselves um they have to have a point of view it used to be they didn't get involved politically they didn't get involved with a lot of things socially for them it was best to stay neutral and now as a result of social media what i like to call trial by Twitter, consumers can become very vocal um, in a positive way or a negative way about your brand. And so it's not enough to be neutral. And so I think what brands are starting to understand is they have to have a point of view and that a lot of customers or a lot of the, the consumers will be okay, even if they don't agree with that particular point of view, but the fact that they know what your point of view is, that's far more important. And I think that it used to be brands really trying to be sort of perfect, but neutral. And so for us, that's part of where we start is really trying to understand with brands, okay, we know consumers want to hear from you. We know that consumers are expecting you to contribute 
to the community, whether that's at a local level or at a national level or a global level. So what is it? And it's no longer enough. You know, it used to be back in the day where people would take the um, the the uh, the pink breast uh, breast care awareness, breast right? So so everyone, you know, the brands would do that for a month, and then that was it. It's it's not it's no longer enough to just be have corporate social responsibility. Actually, you need to have causes that you are contributing on a daily basis in some respect. I think, you know, Target does a great example in every single one of their stores above the exit, you see that they that they actually, I think it's a 5% of revenue that they contribute to a local charity. So when you're in that Target and you look up and you see that money from this store is going to something very local, that's impactful. And the reality is, as Generation Z continues to grow and become one of the larger consumer segments for brands across all industries, they are the ones who are really starting to demand this, saying that I will support brands and I will pay good money, but I need to know who you're also supporting. And so that's making brands shift in terms of how they work. And so the kinds of conversations that we're having with our talent as a result of that is we're saying, get involved, be a part of not just one charity, but two charities, do something at a local level and do something at a a national or global level. You don't have to fall on the sword for it, but it needs to be something that becomes a part of your narrative so your followers know that this is something that's important to you. Mm-hmm. And, and Faith, you've worked with, I'm sure, some of the biggest CEOs of industry uh, who have led these big brands or big retailers. And um, how does how do you juggle this um, notion in some fields that might say, look, my customer is this woman. I know exactly who she is. She looks a certain way. She dresses a certain way. She lives in a certain place. I know who she is. So I kind of want to get a model that looks like her. And then the other side of that is, well, why? Why can't we just present all manner of different kinds of models and faces to that customer, which might be intriguing and and actually make them pay attention? Um, And I think there's often been a struggle around that question of like, how do I hire the right person or do I have to be forced to hire people that um, I'm not sure my customers will relate to potentially? How does that conversation unfold or even does it? I think that today people want to see a broad array of, of talent. It's not anymore that one look. It was always, you know, you looked at the old pictures of, let's just say, CoverGirl or Talbots. Everybody looked the same. Today, everybody doesn't look the same. Everybody looks so different. It doesn't matter if you're a size zero or a size 18. It Everybody's beautiful in their way. Everybody has to be made to feel beautiful. That's where I think some of these CEOs get it wrong. Is they know what they know, and they they this is what they are connected to. But they have to remember what the consumers connected to. You know, no two people look the same, and no two people feel the same. So when you walk into a department store, or if you walk into that local store, in a funny way, that local store knows their consumer so much better than the department store, because they walk in and out all day long. Yeah, absolutely. How do you guys think about the industry at at large? I mean, obviously, your clients, the brands, and and even the retailers, uh, some of them are doing fine, and some of them, a few of them are doing really well. 
many people are struggling. Um, the comps uh, are not really growing, if not declining, uh, in their annual sales. But the costs keep on going up. That doesn't change. How do you uh, feel outside of your agency? How do you feel about the about the, the brandscape, uh, the industry in general, uh, things that you're excited about? Uh, probably let's focus on the pluses <laughs> versus the reverse. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that with a lot of uncertainty and challenge actually always comes the opportunity and, and the interest and excitement, at least from my perspective. I think that, you know, there's a lot of changes that are happening from sort of the traditional old school way in which marketing was actually working. It's really no longer about campaigns that are seasonally based. So you have more and more, especially in the retail space, that are doing things on a monthly or bi-monthly. And I think that's part of how they start to address some of the other challenges that you were just raising in terms of having diversity in the types of people that they want to have representative of their company. But I think analytics also helps to play a role in a lot of that too. So yeah, it more used data to be, available. Absolutely. And I think that that's, there's, there's a balance. You still want to have a bit of the art and the instinct, but you also want to make sure that there is a little bit of the, the analysis behind it. And because so much of it is socially driven and that everything is far more technologically based, I mean, you can both quantify and qualify. Do you guys use technology platforms that yes. help you analyze and, oh, yes. and, and, and sell your talent? <laughs> yes, we do. Um, there's there's math involved in my job, yes. Um, no, I mean, you know, one of the, the biggest conversations that we have with both brands but also with talent is the fact that brands now are looking more about the depth of the numbers than the breadth of the numbers. So even just five years ago, you know, we want someone that has a million Instagram followers. What does that really mean? Now brands are saying, okay, we want someone and they kind of give us a profile, but then they say, you know, we want to make sure that they have great engagement. We want to make sure that they have good reach, that they've got great impressions. So it's a little bit more of a, of a media-centric conversation on top of sort of the aesthetics as well. So well, let's deal with a word that I really don't like, but it's everywhere, right? It's either disruption or it's disintermediation, right? Um, this notion that uh, consumers are being reached directly by the brands or by the influencers themselves. Um, how, if at all, has the industry of agency land changed in that regard? If, a, if someone who is a talent wakes up one morning and says, you know what, I don't need an agent. Why, would, why on earth do I need an agent? I got, you know, five million uh, fans on uh, or false subscribers on YouTube and the whole nine yards. Um, you know, people can DM me and I'll, I'll charge them. Yes, uh, we get that a lot. I, I think the short... They're both smiling, by the way. <laughs> the, the, the short answer is it, it can't happen. I mean, it's not sustainable. So yes, you can do this on your own and you might get some um, immediate gratification or recognition, but in terms of creating a, a viable, sustainable career, it requires more than being a, a one-man show. And I think that, you know, when we're working with talent who, because the majority of them did start on their own, um, it's hard for them to sort of relinquish the control. But, you know, we try to talk about it more from the perspective of, of how we're able to help them. So I think first and foremost, just within the fashion and beauty industry, there's 
it can be a very complicated industry if you don't understand how to navigate it. And, and we know how to navigate it. I think that there's a lot of people that are under the impression that you can just pick up the phone and call a brand and make a deal. And the reality is, especially if you're working with, you know, brands that are in Europe, you, you can't. You actually have to have an office that's based in that same country and they want to make sure that the money that is going towards whatever this opportunity might be, that parts of it are staying in their country. So there's a lot of weird things like that. It's, that people, it's the business of the business. That people might not understand. But I think more importantly for the talent, we are looking across the board of all of the different deals. And so it's not just the deals that we're doing for them, but deals for other talent or other conversations that are being had. You know, we have a sense of what things really are going for and aren't going for and how much is too much in terms of the, the deliverables of what they're they're being asked to do. And, and I think as a talent, it's really important to actually have a bit of a of a divide between you as the talent versus the people who are handling your business and working with a brand. I think for a talent, I, I want them to be the good cop. We can be the bad cop. We can have the, the harder conversations about stuff, but you don't need to be in the middle of it. Yes, we want to make sure that this is something that you're in agreement with and we have those conversations before we have the tougher conversations, but they don't need to be a part of it. And I think that that is an aspect of what we do that I think people don't realize that takes up a lot of your time. Yeah, no question. The key word, management. So, yes, yeah, sure, you can get DM'd, and yes, brands can contact you. What winds up happening is is you become short-sighted, and all of a sudden when that big deal comes, you can't do it because you've already done something in that space. It's very interesting. Just last night, somebody came to see me, and they were my son, he keeps getting all these DMs, and he's making $6,000 here and $10,000 there. I said, and it's going to end because nobody's managing any of this. Some of the things that he's been saying on social media, it's kind of a little off. She said, yeah, but they're calling, they're calling. I'm like, they will stop calling. It's all about management, not only for the talent, but we manage Every, I don't want to say everything, but I would say 95% of what go, what you see in those photographs is been managed by somebody on our team because you cannot just take a picture and think that's going to go viral. It's, that happens, but it's very, very rare. There's, there's a theme that goes into all of this. And I think that um, we are moving really, really fast. Young Zs don't want to be sold to. They want to think that they've discovered that product. Me, I'm, I still like to go into a store. Yes, it becomes very convenient just to click a button and to get certain things, but there's certain things I still go in a store to buy. So we're in the middle of that con convergence of the, the two, and I still think that it's relative. Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of the word sustainability, this is another form of sustainability, which is basically saying, look, you can either have 100% of your revenues for six months, or you can have somewhat slightly lower portion of your revenues uh, for 10 years. And so being, being smart about those decisions, I mean, I think it's really interesting. So just before we, we, we wrap up, are there businesses, brands that you guys 
are impressed with, areas of the industry that uh, that you're sort of keeping an eye on, for, which could end up becoming uh, large clients for your talent? Well, I mean, I, I think certainly just as far as trends go, just what's happening within the sustainable space, um, you know, that's definitely been a, a slow burn. And now just within the last two years oh, in right. particular, within the fashion industry, you know, you even have like the CFDA now making comments about it and figuring out how to Finally. be a part of the conversation, right? But listen, I mean, better late than never. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so I just think that it's really interesting to see what's happening. And so as a result of sustainability, that kind of brings the other part of the conversation about transparency. And, you know, consumers want to understand not only what is it that you're making, but how is it being made and who is who is making it and is it fair trade and are you paying them appropriately? And, and that's where I think that companies like the Everlanes of the world, just very modern, they started the transparency model way before people were asking. Um, and they focus on really just having good quality everyday basics. So, you know, it's the complete opposite of what's happening in sort of the fast fashion aspect of the world. So I, I just think it's really interesting to watch that and to see how the bigger retailers, how are they going to participate in that? And I think that there's some interesting ways. I think Levi's is a great example Amazing. with what they're doing in terms of the the denim and um, customization. The, yeah, and so I, and inclusivity. I, right. Yeah. So I, I think that just a lot of people are quick to have the the eye roll with when you start talking about sustainability, but I think that it's such a broader context and what it really means and the impact that it's going to have. Yeah, and my point on that, which I think is interesting, is that you know everyone used to love to talk about, even we did you know, a few years ago, we had a, uh, and we still have uh, our third annual uh, New Davids, uh, referencing David and Goliath and all the new brands that are coming to you know presumably take over. Then it became really more about um, the Goliaths actually waking up and actually starting to learn the techniques of the digital natives, uh, applying data and uh, inclusivity and sustainability and, and meaning, frankly, in their messaging. And, and not about um, your storytelling, but story doing, you know, actually putting your money where your mouth is and, and doing the doing. And so I think right now, the theme that we, we are following, uh, both, both on the investment side of the house and on the consulting side, is how David and Goliath are not fighting each other, but they're just going hand in hand off into the sunset and learning from each other and collaborating, uh, which, is, which is really interesting. So we're coming to the end now, and uh, I'd like to end with giving my guests the last word. So uh, if anything's on your mind or anything you want to get out there, or anything you're doing that's interesting, please let us know about it. I mean, change and fast pace, it, that's where we're going. People don't want to slow down. Everything is, it's, it's always moving. Young, the Zs, they walk around with that phone in their hand and they're ready. They're ready to hit the button at all times. When you say the Zs, you mean the Gen Zs, correct? Gen Zs, they're ready to hit the button. A great thank you to Faith Cates and Jennifer Gavin of Next Model Management for joining us on the safari today. It's incredible to be able to see the industry not only from people who've been around a very different part of our industry, but uh, for so many years. If you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io, where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do share this with uh, colleagues and friends in the industry. And obviously, like it and subscribe. Until next time.